Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 20th Century Movie Club on the Dana Buckler Show. This is Volume 31. I'm your host, Mike Scott, and as always, uh, I am flying solo here because Dana is incredibly busy, but I cannot do this show on my own. So I am very pleased to welcome a very special guest, my my most excellent friend from Twitter, Ryan Copeland. Ryan, how are you tonight? I am doing very well, sir. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, I've been listening to the show for a very long time, interacting with you and Dana and Ashley and a whole bunch of y'all's various hosts on Twitter for a very long time. So I'm very eager, eager to uh, be here and talk some movies with you. Yeah, and I know you're also a uh, shout out to a another podcast that is very popular and very supportive of us. I know you're also super dialed in with the Shat the Movie Guys. Uh, for those who don't know, Ashley is now on Shat the Movies as well. Uh, so, you know, it's a, just a big, happy Potter and family all around here. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. In fact, Shat the Movies was the very first podcast I ever listened to because I was just looking around for some movie things to listen to. They just happened to be the first one to pop up. And through them, I found Dana and his old show on how is this movie and have just sticked with him and, and then eventually you and all the other hosts. And it's just been, it's been awesome just to listen to all the content y'all have been putting out. Well, and you have been by far and away one of our most like adamant supporters. Uh, you've constantly listened, you've constantly retweeted, you've constantly boosted us. And, you know, you and I first kind of started talking because we started talking about comics and in particular Jack Kirby. And that's when I was like, oh, Oh, this guy and I are going to be, we're going to be cool. We're going to be friends. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was going to say, it's funny you say that because I had that exact same reaction, not about specifically Jack Kirby, but when we were going back and forth on Twitter about masters of the universe and how that is a Jack Kirby carbon copy. And you and I were going right back and forth with all the parallels with it. That's when I knew it was like this guy, this guy knows what's up. He's yeah, I'm cool with him now. And we've been talking about having you on the show for a while. It's taken the logistics have taken a little while, but you're finally here. And I am just goddamn ecstatic that you're here. And as always, for listeners of the 20th Century Movie Club, you know that we uh, allow our guests to pick the theme. Um, and Ryan, you've come up with a theme that we've talked about quite a bit, but I think that most people will find interesting. What are we talking about tonight? So the theme that I have been pressing for y'all to cover for quite a while has been ninja movies. And the reason that I personally wanted someone to discuss ninja movies is because it is often overlooked, I guess, when it comes to uh, action films. It usually gets lumped in with martial arts films, but there was a brief period there in the 80s when there was a boom in ninja popularity, and it invaded the culture. It invaded uh, pop culture. It invaded the media, and it really just sort of has has continued to flourish to now in modern times we refer to people 
who are experts in a certain field as ninjas. Like he's a tech ninja or he's a, he's a, uh, a ninja with a knife if he's a chef or something like that. And it's really interesting to me that it all started in America anyways, in that early boom in the eighties. And it's continued to, to um, flourish and expand uh, through our pop culture and through our lives that uh, I thought it'd be really interesting to take a look back on the films from that time period, as well as films in general from across the world that dealt with ninjas and really just kind of show what they were all about. Yeah, I, I absolutely, you know, we've been talking about this for a while and I just absolutely love this pick because it, everybody knows I'm an action guy. Everybody knows I'm a martial arts guy. And part of the reason that I'm an action guy and a martial arts guy is because I am a child of the eighties. I grew up on ninja movies. It's one of the reasons I try and not like, we try and make these timeless and evergreen, but for those who are listening, we're recording this in September of 2020. We're still in COVID. We're all still wearing masks and to me, I'm always like, oh, yeah, I'm good wearing a mask because when I was a kid, I wore a ninja mask all the time. So to me, it's just like I'm, I'm just I'm just reaching back to my memory of the mystical ninja arts every time I put a mask on. So um, I love this. I love this pick. I love this theme. Um, and yeah, the, the reality is, is there was just this weird time in the 80s when ninjas were a thing and we you mentioned that we talk about somebody as being like a tech ninja or he's a knife ninja or whatever it is we use ninja as a modifier now and we absolutely wouldn't have but for the 80s ninja boom and so i think if people who are used to the normal themes that we come up with on this show and you're wondering why we're doing ninjas i think that this fits perfectly with the show because this is such a pivotal, important part of film history. Uh, and, you know, I'm rambling on a bit, but just I'm going to kind of this will be one of the first times I mentioned it. But for those who don't know, you know, it's like I also do a Scott Adkins podcast and Scott, two of Scott Adkins movies, two of his best movies are Ninja and Ninja 2. That is how so good. And so that, good. and that is how important the whole like concept of the ninja that was started in the eighties is for modern pop culture. So I love this theme, man. Are you ready to get started? Absolutely. All right. So Ryan, uh, the guest always gets to go first. Go ahead and tell us your first pick. I have to preface this first. When you tell me to pick these movies. I struggled and struggled like, oh, let's talk about this one. Oh, let's talk about that one. But for me, I really was trying to keep it focused on the, the, the historical film aspect of the ninjas. So my very first pick is going to be 1981's Enter the Ninja, directed by Menahem Golan, who was a part of the whole Canon film uh, company, him and his uh, cousin, I believe. And uh, the movie stars Franco Nero, who was the original Django from the Westerns, and the legendary, absolutely legendary Show Kasuji. So some things to know about this is before you had any of the more popular ninja movies that I'm sure we're going to talk about, 
or even before we had Ninja Turtles for crying out loud, we had Enter the Ninja. And that is really the film that a lot of people say started the boom, the ninja boom. It was the first one in a trilogy. It was followed by my personal favorite, which is Revenge of the Ninja. And then the third movie, uh, Ninja 3, The Domination. But it was really that first one that started it off. And I recently rewatched it in preparation for this show. And I got to tell you, compared to the other films in the trilogy, I kind of think it's the best one uh, in terms of the action, in terms of uh, the acting and the set pieces, considering that it was made by Canon Films, which a good chunk of these Ninja movies were made by Canon. And Canon is, is famous for doing everything on the cheap, the super cheap, like below Roger Corman level cheap. And to see what they pulled off in that first film is absolutely, absolutely amazing. And it, in addition to starting the Ninja boom, it made a sort of big star out of Sho Kasuji because he went on to do many other Ninja films with the same production team and with different production teams. He did um, an action movie with Van Damme. I forget what that one is called now. Black Eagle. Um, yeah, there you go. There you go. And I remember the marketing for that kind of played into the ninja aspect of it, but he doesn't actually do any ninja stuff in it. He's sort of like a CIA kind of spy, but whatever. It was a really good movie. Um, and it that first movie really, like I said, really just showed what the ninja was. You know, the first 10 minutes of that movie um, is, has virtually no dialogue, and it's just uh, the main character going through his trials to be a ninja, and you see everything laid out. You see the smoke bombs, which are now cliche, but at the time were, were amazing and revolutionary. You see all the different skills they have from using blowguns to archery to throw in uh, their shurikens and their fighting and their stealth, and it really just sort of built up the mystique and the quote-unquote power of the ninja in that first movie. Yeah, man, I, I'm i going to be honest with you. I would have been stunned if you had recommended any other movie first. I, I, <laughs> I, I've got a recommendation coming down the pipe that I would contend is arguably the the first movie that sort of kicked off the ninja boom. But there's no question that that Enter the Ninja and, as you mentioned, Canon Films really are solely responsible for this whole ninja boom of the 80s. Uh, Absolutely. You know, listeners of the show know Dana and I have talked about our love of Canon Films. I'm going to shout it out again. Mark Hartley's Electric Boogaloo. One of the best film documentaries of all time is all about the history of Canon films and Manaham Goldman and Yoram Globus really knew what they were dialing into when they started doing these movies. And part of the reason for that is, as you brought up, they met Shokasugi and they knew they had something special on their hands with him because he is a legit martial arts master. He had, while his English wasn't great, he had charisma to spare. Um, he's 
this will be the second one of his movies on the list because I recommended a while ago Blind Fury, which is actually, I think, mm. what started our conversation about doing this. Um, so I love this recommendation. Enter the Ninja. I, I, anybody that wants to understand, especially in the West, you know, Japan has been had been making ninja movies for quite a while. They started in the 60s. But for anybody that wants to understand Western ninja movies and sort of the Western craze, Enter the Ninja's essential viewing. The only complaint I have is Franco Nero clearly is not a master of the mystical ninja arts. <laughs> and so they have to use a lot of stunt doubles. And that's fine when he dresses up as the ninja for the final fight because nobody cares. It's a dude in a ninja suit. But... Some of the earlier fights are are a little bit dicey, but I still think the movie is absolutely essential watching. I think it's, well, it's really the only movie that could have been the first recommendation on this podcast. So I, I'm glad absolutely. you recommended it. Um, anything, absolutely. Anything else you want to add about it? No, well, um, as I was recently watching it, I it really kind of struck a chord with me um, the way the screenplay was written. And I think this is kind of how it tied into American slash Western audiences where the screenplay, the story itself is constructed a lot like uh, a Western film that we would have seen. You have the war hero who comes back to visit a friend and has to defend his home or his homestead from these greedy people trying to purchase it greedy person hires another person to come and fight him and just action ensues. And the basic plot elements of that you could see in most Westerns that were made back in the sixties and in the seventies and whatnot. I think a part of the, 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 the hook for American audiences was partially the, 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 the ninja being, such a foreign concept and such an interesting concept, as well as a very familiar type of story that they were ultimately telling. But instead of the old West, it's now ninjas in the Philippines, but still Americans. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And in fact, actually one of my recommendations, I'm going to my next rec, my first recommendation, I'm going to hit on kind of that same point. You know, the, the, Western aspect, and I by that I don't mean the West, I mean Western movies, was really something that the Western aspect ninja movies really dialed into. They really, at least at the start, tried to replicate almost that Clint Eastwood, man with no name type vibe. Uh, and, uh, or even... You know, Enter the Ninja is really even more like Shane to a to a certain yes. extent, uh, and it it really worked for it because, like you said, you get this combination of this thing that's mystical and foreign with a plot and sort of structure that is very familiar to us. Um, and and I think again, that's why canon for until they got too big and blew themselves up, that's why Canon was such a successful company. 
because they knew how to combine those things and make those things in a way that had actual mass appeal. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they, they realized, I think, um, that they could make these relatively high, I don't want to say high concept, but they could make films on the cheap that had decent themes that were engaging and that really just kind of tapped into this core uh, need in, in people when they were watching it, this core sort of familiar uh, type of story. And then they could transpose that familiar story to different settings with different characters, and it would still strike a chord. People would still go see the movies. Absolutely. And I also do want to point out, um, you know, for those who are wondering – whether we're still, whether we still think ninja movies are influential, one of my favorite current TV shows is Letterkenny, and uh, you mentioned smoke bombs, Ryan. And one of the things that Riley and Jonesy, uh, the hockey players on that show, do all the time is when they're in a conversation they want to get out of, they make a motion of throwing something on the ground and go ninja dust, ninja dust, and run away. <laughs> So, like, this is still this whole concept of the ninja. And that's the reality. What we conceive of as the ninja is really from these canon films from the 80s. Like, our cultural zeitgeist is these canon films in the 80s. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to go with my first recommendation and given that you recommended enter the ninja and you already mentioned it and on top of that it was filmed in my lovely home city of salt lake city utah and if anybody's listened to this show before you know if i have a chance to shout out any movie filmed in utah i am going to my first recommendation is the sequel revenge of the ninja 1983, directed by Sam Furstenberg, who is as important as Menahem Golan to the ninja genre. He not only directed this one, but he directed uh, Ninja 3. He directed Dana's favorite, Break Into Electric Boogaloo, American Ninja, American Ninja 2, Avenging Force, which is a ninja movie by any other name. Uh this is, I think, the movie that kicked the ninja movie into high gear. So, I agree. Th- yeah. So, Shokasugi was the villain in Enter the Ninja, but everybody involved in canon realized how terrific he was. So, they bring him back for this one. And in this time, he's the hero. He plays a, uh, a man named Cho who is a ninja but has sworn it off because he's trying to raise a family, including a young son played by his son, Kane Kasugi, who will go on to be one of the great martial arts action stars of our time and actually star in Ninja 2 Shadow of a Tear with Scott Adkins. Um, But in this movie, he's about eight years old and he kicks ass. Uh, After a while, Cho decides to move to the U.S., open an art gallery with his friend Braden. And uh, from there, 
people decide to start doing things. I it's I don't want to get into spoilers, but what it ultimately <laughs> boils down to is Braden is a bad guy. He's a bad ninja. He's using Cho's art gallery to smuggle drugs. And when Cho figures that out, he has to reconnect with his ninja ways. And there is all sorts of ass kicking involved. I have literally played on the playground where there is a major fight in this movie. So I could not <laughs> recommend it. Um, this is one of the biggest filmed in Salt Lake City movies, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I watched it about a month and a half, two months ago with my wife. And she had never seen it. I've seen it, you know, 20 times. And we ended up spending most of the movie trying to figure out where everything was filmed. And we did. And we were very proud. But, uh, Ryan, you mentioned it earlier, so I'm sure you've seen Revenge of the Ninja. Oh, oh, my friend. Yes, yes, I have. So you said you were a child of the 80s. I'm a child of the 90s. And my older brother, Scott, um, big into martial arts. He was big into ninja movies. He was going through the ninja boom. Uh, he introduced me to Revenge of the Ninja. We went to the little mom and pop uh, video store back when there were video stores and checked this out. And I was absolutely blown away uh, from the beginning fight scene when they're in Japan all the way to the epic fight at the very end. I mean, there's just nothing in terms of just pure action that ever lets up. Um, and one thing, having rewatched it recently, one thing that really st stuck out to me about, um, about Sho Kasugi versus other action people is Sho Kasugi gets his ass kicked left and right. I mean, you see any other uh, typical action star, they're almost invincible. You know, they're, they very rarely get hurt. And if, they do get hurt and there's a little drop of blood. They go into rage mode and then everyone's dead. But Sho Kasugi takes a lot of damage and continues to push through. And I thought that was really interesting. And I thought that was really unique to these types of movies where, like, like I said, in other movies, someone is never going to get hurt. But in the ninja movies, I mean, your main character is going to go through some stuff before the end. Yeah, he's very Jackie Chan-like in that regard, right? Because that's always mm -hmm. one of the things that's made Jackie Chan so amazing is he gets hurt. He he has... I, I contrast him to Steven Seagal, who never gets touched in a fight. And every once in a while, that's entertaining. You know, Under Siege is great. But if you're trying to use your fights as drama your hero needs to be vulnerable he needs to take hits he needs to take punches and you're absolutely right especially in this one i mean uh cho sho kasugi's character he's he's on the losing not losing end because he always comes out on top but he is neck and neck uh every fight that he's in in this movie, uh, you're never quite sure whether he's going to come out on top. Absolutely. And the thing about him in this particular movie is he is giving it his extremely best effort with his acting. I mean, the, the other people in the film, they're, you know, they're, they're acting as well as they can, but he is giving the most earnest um, performance um, up to that point. 
And what's what's really nice about this film is obviously he has more screen time, so you get to see more of his ability. When he's in Enter the Ninja, he's only in a handful of scenes, and he steals all of those scenes. But most of the time, he's in a mask. You put him in this film where he's the lead character, he's the main guy in all the fight scenes, and you can really see what he can do, really what his capabilities are, what his skill level is. So by the time you get to the end and he's in full ninja mode, you mean you, you get very excited and you're like, oh yeah, it's on. It's time for that revenge. It's about to happen. Yep, absolutely. And and that that is this is the one that I was really thinking of when you also brought up uh, this sort of the Western concept because this is another really popular Western trope, right? The gunslinger who tries to lay down his arms and uh, because of bad, bad people, he's not able to and he has to instead take up those arms. I mean, we even get a scene. This isn't a spoiler, folks. We even get a scene where he's like opening up a case that has all of his ninja gear, uh, you know, that he had forsworn using and uh, to take his his revenge. And uh, I think that's, that's, again, a really astute thing that you brought up, Ryan, because I, I think this is why these movies were so popular, is because everybody knew the formula. The, the method of delivery was different, but the formula was the same. Absolutely. I mean, uh, when... When we first were going to do this and you asked me to come up with my recommendations, that was the first maybe that popped in my head because that is my favorite. But I started to kind of look at at my choices a little bit more, uh, I guess, holistically is the word I want to use. And I realized that for my choices, I really needed to start at the beginning of the, the quote unquote ninja boom, even though Revenge of the Ninja is probably my favorite and is the one that I've seen the most out of all of the ninja movies. Yeah. And, uh, I, I am glad you didn't steal it from me because you know, the whole, again, Salt Lake city, Salt Lake city connection. Um, I didn't, I wanted to talk about this one because you can actually quite frankly go on a tour of, if you ever come to Salt Lake city, hit me up and I will take you on a tour of filming locations for revenge of the ninja. Uh, absolutely. So, all right, Ryan, what is your second pick? So my second pick is jumping a little bit ahead in time, but still staying in the 80s, and that is 1985's American Ninja, which we've already referenced a bunch already. Um, that movie was directed by Sam Furstenberg, as you mentioned, who redirected your pick, Revenge of the Ninja, and the sequel to that, and the sequel to American Ninja, American Ninja. Two, and I chose this one because there's sort of a a timeline of the heroes in the ninja movies, where you start off with uh, Franco Nero, an Italian actor, wonderful Italian actor, playing an American, and then we have Sho Kasugi, who is amazing, going forward, and then we have Michael Dudikoff playing Joe Armstrong. So, for anyone who hasn't seen the movie. 
American Ninja centers around Private Joe Armstrong, who's an amnesiac private in the United States Army. He's stationed overseas. And through a series of events, he slowly starts to remember that he was trained uh, essentially from birth to be a ninja. And it's very clever how they intersplice um, his realizing his abilities, realizing his skills, and bring all those those things to the front with an amazing climax. Also, in addition to Michael Dudikoff, who also had no martial arts training, um, but he he got shrunk, he got trained up uh, on the fly by the fight choreographer Mike Stone. The film also stars Steve James, which having seen the movie recently, I do not know how that man did not have a bigger career than he had because every single scene he is in just oozes charisma. And he, quite frankly, aside from the ninja stuff in the movie and the awesome fights, I think he's the best part about the movie. He, he's funny. He's He's very likable. He's very all around an entertaining man. Um, and like I said, it's it's a shame that he didn't have any bigger films. Yeah, let let's let's just take a minute. Uh, and I know you're going to talk about. It. Let's just take a minute to bask in the glory of Steve James because <laughs> he we lost him far too soon. Um, he died of. If I remember correctly, I think he died of cancer, but uh, we lost yes. him far too soon. And quite frankly, he's the best part of every movie that he's ever been in. He's, I agree. He's a dynamic, you know, I think about where movies are now and the idea of, this is a bit, it's a bit morbid because we just lost Chadwick Boseman. But mm. I think about a Black Panther movie where Steve James is playing an elder, you know, leader of a tribe in Black Panther or something along those lines. Because he'd be in his 60s now. He couldn't be the main sure. character. But we lost so many fantastic Steve James performances. And... Folks, if you want to go back and watch these movies, watch old ninja movies, watch old canon movies, I will agree with Ryan. I will tell you the best reason to watch them is to watch Steve James because he was a damn legend in the making. Absolutely. And in fact, in the movie American Ninja, he actually knew martial arts. He knew karate, and it really intimidated Michael Dudikoff. So here's Michael Dudikoff, and he's the lead. I mean, he is the American ninja, and he didn't want to film any of the fight scenes near Steve James. And I think that went on through the sequel as well, where they didn't really have animosity towards each other. It was just more of an uncomfortableness where one guy was pretending to know what he was doing, and the other guy knew the stuff like – for real, for real. And you talk about if uh, he had still been alive, he would have played uh, in the Black Panther movies. I completely agree. He would have probably been up there in the Expendables movies. He would have been in uh, the Black Panther movies for sure. 
the man had such a big career ahead of him. Um, and unfortunately it was cut short because of cancer, but I absolutely agree with what you said. If you don't, if you don't watch the Canon films or the Ninja films for anything else, please watch it for Steve James's performance because he is phenomenal in those movies. Yeah, I agree. And I, I'm a big Dudikoff fan and you know, he started as a model, but he, when he became an action guy, he really seemed to take it seriously. You know, when I was a kid growing up in the 80s, I didn't realize he didn't know martial arts. I didn't. I mean, he's he's more than convincing enough in the role. And he's charming enough and likable enough. And he has such an easy, you know, regardless of what maybe they were like behind the scenes, he has such an easy rapport with Steve James that uh, I think it, it really is kind of a terrific partnership and uh, everybody should, you know, the American Ninja movies, there's five of them. They take a real step down after American Ninja two, partially because they lose Steve James. So um, I, I love this recommendation, man. I think this is a great, great recommendation. Anything else you want to add on it? Um, I mean, not too much, to be honest with you. Like I said, for it being a canon film, uh, the production value on it is out of this world, and the action in it is phenomenal. And like I said, Steve James, he's a legend. All right. I will uh, move on to my next pick then. And I really went back and forth on what my next pick was going to be. Because uh, you mentioned both of them already. One of them was American Ninja 2. So I'm going to kind of backdoor that as a recommendation. Because I think American Ninja 2 kind of increases and improves upon everything that American Ninja 1 does. But it also feels a bit redundant. So I am instead going to recommend one of the most bonkers, batshit, crazy ninja movies I've ever seen. We've recommended the first two in the trilogy. I'm going to recommend the third one, but oh, folks, this is a loosely tied together trilogy. It's a trilogy by theme. There's no characters that repeat. And in the third one, it goes off the rails. My next recommendation is Ninja 3 The Domination, wherein an evil ninja possesses telephone line woman and aerobics instructor Christy Ryder, played by Lucinda Dickey from Breakin' and Breakin' 2, and uses her to extract his revenge on the police officers who've killed him. And once that becomes known, a fellow ninja hunting the evil ninja, played by Shokasugi, comes and attempts to both exercise and kill the ninja. This is canon at its most bonkers. Ryan, I know you've seen Ninja 3. Oh my goodness, yes. Yes, I have. And I really debated about adding that to my list simply because... It's the third part in the Ninja Trilogy, which is, up until that one, 
was a really good little series of films. The third one just come, goes completely off the rails. It's super 80s B-movie canon film at its most terrifying or glorious, depending on how you choose to view it. And But once again, it has Sho Kasugi. And in any movie he's in where he is a ninja or he's mar- doing martial arts and he's kicking ass is going to be a good movie to watch. Yeah, and I, I really love just how bonkers it is. You know, it's this weird combination of a horror movie a demonic possession movie and a ninja movie. And it really does kind of fit in our theme of the idea of canon used traditional Western movie tropes and then sort of jammed ninjas in them. But the concept of the ninja is so versatile, at least cinematically that they were able to uh, use it in this weird, absolutely bananas hybrid movie. Uh, And like you said, you know, Shokasugi is really kind of a secondary character until the climax, but they're smart enough to know come the climax, they're going to use him to his fullest. And... I think it has arguably the best last fight of any of the canon ninja movies. I think the last fight is pretty damn terrific. I agree. I completely agree. I mean, anytime you can showcase Shokasugi doing what he does best, you do that. And if you save him to the end, that's fine. That is a great dessert at the end of a okay meal. I'll just leave it like that. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I, I think Lucinda Dickey gives her all. You know, she was a dancer. That's why she was in Breaking and Breaking 2. And she's a pretty phenomenal dancer. So she has the physical skills necessary to pull off, you know, obviously a lot of the action scenes. She's in a ninja costume, so it's not her. But she does have the physical skills to pull off what she needs to as far as the role goes. But I really, really love this one for just how this movie came out in 1984. And I feel like it could only have come out in 1984. Like, I love it because it's so like, I feel like you could do a remake of Revenge of the Ninja today and it would play just fine. Sure. Cast, cast, you know, uh, Tony Jaw or Iko Uacer, you know, some up and coming martial arts actor, and it could play just fine. I feel like Ninja 3 could only have been made in 1984. And that's why I love it so much, because it is such a time capsule of movies at the time, canon at the time, ninja movies at the time. Like, it's, it's something else. I'll just leave it at that. Absolutely. And the thing about ninja movies then and getting into ninja three domination is when you kind of look on look back on them through our current cinema landscape where it's all uh, a bunch of star wars and marvel films and dc films the ninja films in their own little unique way were sort of the prototype comic book movie because they were such a uh, mysterious and 
different uh, type of characters that had really never been on film before or had been on film in America before that you could almost plug and play them with different uh, circumstances and different plots and different settings, and they work relatively well. But like you said, if you take a film like Revenge of the Ninja and bring it to our modern sensibilities and update it, it would play fairly similar in that same kind of vein along the lines of a comic book film, which those, like I said, were sort of what the ninja movies were in the beginning. They were very pulpy. They were very uh, violent. They were very dark. Revenge of the Ninja and parts of Ninja 3 Domination are extremely dark. And it's just sort of that... um, I guess, uh, the blueprint leading towards all the stuff we would eventually have. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, they ascribed the ninja such mystical abilities. Yeah. Especially in Ninja three, you know, I mean, he's literally possessing another person that they really are kind of superheroes, right? I mean, that's, they're, they're not normal people. A, A ninja was something, more uh and so they really are kind of superhero martial arts movies uh i I think that's a really astute observation um anything you want to add about ninja 3 i mean like you said it is canon films it's one of canon films most bonkers crazy films that they produced and i don't think they could have produced it and done it in the way they did if it hadn't have had ninjas and if it didn't have the earnest performances from the from the main leads in it and if it didn't have the outstanding action that was a part of it if it had been any other kind of setting or any other kind of story that they were story they were trying to tell it probably just would have been a hot mess just a bottom of the barrel b movie but as it turns out it's a pretty crazy, entertaining movie for what it is. Yeah, I mean, the, like, I know some people are going to watch this movie and be like, really, Mike, you recommended this? But, like, watch it and realize the 5,700 different ways this movie could have been one of the worst things ever committed to film. Like, there are so many things that would have had to that had to go right for this movie to be even remotely as entertaining as it is. And yet it is entertaining, but yeah, you're right, man. Like there is just no way that this movie should be what it is. It's not perfect. Uh, it's not the worst movie I've recommended on this show, but it's probably up there, but I still think it's awesome. And I still think everybody should watch it. All right, Ryan, what is your third and final pick? For my third pick, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball. Okay, so stay with me here. So I was trying to think of ninjas in film. And obviously, your mind went to the same place mine went to. 80s, canon films, uh, Shokasugi, Michael Dudikoff, all that great stuff. But... Here's where my curveball comes in. My third recommendation is going to be 1967's James Bond film, 
you only live twice. And the reason that I am picking that is because in my research and my knowledge, that is the first Western film production to actually portray ninjas. And I could be mistaken, but I'm fairly certain that that is the first American, British, Western film company to put ninjas to film. And not just ninjas, but Japanese culture to put samurai and all these other things to film. Now, of course, there have been tons of samurai films, tons of Japanese martial arts films that uh, have made their way to America and to the Western countries. But for a Western production to take James Bond, one of the first major franchise characters and take him to Japan and have him interact and train and portray ninjas on the screen was kind of different. And I think added to the mystique, the growing mystique of Japan in the sixties, because this came out in 1967 and we were only 20 some odd years removed from the end of world war II. Japan was starting to become its, its uh, economic superpower. It was starting to have its culture sort of shown to the world. And I think this was a great showcase for that. And uh, to add some authenticity to it, when they went to Japan, they actually hired one of Japan's only practicing ninjas at the time. Uh, it was ninja master Masaki Hatsumi, who was uh, the uh, fight choreographer for some of the more ninja uh, fight scenes in it. He was one of the stunt coordinators. He was one of the advisors on it to really bring the authenticity to it. And it also set up that trope that we see in these other ninja movies where we talked about, where there's always the montage. I mean, in those 80s movies, there's always a montage, right? And there's no exception in those ninja movies. There's always a montage of ninjas training, ninjas doing ninja stuff. And really, it kind of started with You Only Live Twice. There's a good chunk of the at um, uh, Tiger's little ninja compound, and James Bond is walking around and seeing the ninjas doing all of their training. And I can only imagine audiences in 1967 watching this and being like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. This is like nothing I've ever seen before because you've seen karate and you've seen kung fu. You've seen Bruce Lee on the Green Hornet and uh, seen Chuck Norris or uh, Ed Parker doing their karate demonstrations and their karate turn. But to see ninja in their ninja garb on screen, it, I would imagine had to have life-changing for a lot of ways. And to go from that, fast-forwarding, almost 20 years to the beginning of the eighties with the ninja boom, there really wasn't too much ninja type stuff in, in film. It has started to creep its way into comic books through characters like Batman and daredevil and things and things like that. But on the big screen, there was really nothing as far as American cinema was concerned, purely American cinema between you only live twice all the way to enter the ninja. Yeah, man, I friggin' love this recommendation. This is so perfect because again, 
A, you're recommending, congratulations, by the way, you are recommending the first James Bond movie on the 20th Century Movie Club, which seems bananas to me. It is, absolutely, I agree with you. It is the biggest, like, influx into sort of Western cinema of the ninja and Japanese culture. Folks, if you're listening we're two white guys. If we get this <laughs> wrong, don't hesitate to reach out to us. I'll even add an addendum to the episode if I need to. But I agree with you. I think this was, whether it was the first, it's a pivotal moment in sort of introducing that at least mythical Japanese culture to Western cinema. And it it really does kind of create a template for what we're going to see because enter the ninja especially right we get the white guy who has to fight the ninjas and that's more or less what james bond is in this one um i would say that that you only live twice is you know we don't need to go off on the the rails on james bond movies it's not my favorite bond movie but it's certainly my favorite Bond movie that involves ninjas. So, <laughs> so I'm glad well, I'm glad you recommended it. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, I mean, there could have been um, other uh, films during that time that had an influx of Japanese culture and ninjas. But in the 60s, there was almost nothing bigger than Bond. I mean, in the 60s, there was the three Bs, right? There was... The Beatles, Batman, and James Bond. Those three entities owned pop culture in the 60s. And to my knowledge, there was not really a dedicated franchise with a singular actor going on all these multiple adventures up until James Bond. You had the serial films back in the 30s and 40s and whatnot, but on the big screen with the big production, big budget, and the reach that those films had for that to have the influx of Japanese culture and to have ninjas front and center at the climax of the film, I think really sort of pushed that into the zeitgeist was the initial entry into pop culture. 100% agree. I love this recommendation. I think it's a perfect pick and I think it also really, Shows what we're trying to do here, folks. We're we're trying to give you context and history. Uh, it's been a good minute since I've watched You Only Live Twice, so you're actually inspiring me. I keep talking about doing a full Bond rewatch, and this might actually be what I need to get off my ass and do it, is to, to watch it because you talked about it. Yeah, I actually just purchased all the bond films because boredom during uh, COVID is a real thing. And uh, once I rewatched everything I wanted to rewatch and watch the shows in tandem with the episodes you and Dana were doing, I just went on iTunes and saw James Bond. Yep. I will pay for that because you know, I made a money. Why not? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as the uh, guy who has bought, 
spent entirely too much money on Scott Adkins movies of late. I can't relate at all. So, um, yeah. No, and then, you know, you want to get up to speed before uh, No Time to Die, whenever that may actually come out. Uh, you still want to be up to speed on that. So Absolutely. All right. I'm going to go into my third pick, and I had two movies that I was going back and forth on. Uh, one of them was, you mentioned it actually, was the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And that will be a recommendation at some point because I think that movie is absolutely terrific. But similar to you, I thought of a movie that had an unusual bit, an unusual place in history because it is just before Enter the Ninja, but it's not ever often credited with starting the ninja boom. And that is 1980s Eric Carson film, The Octagon, starring Chuck Norris, Lee Van Cleef, and Art Hindle. Ryan, have you ever seen The Octagon? Mike, I have not seen The Octagon. You have me stumped. No worries, man. I, this is why I wanted to recommend it, because it is a, it's a ninja movie that I don't think a lot of people have seen, because it's not one of the highest-profile Chuck Norris movies. It's not one of the highest-profile ninja movies. It, for me, luckily, happened to be an action movie that my pops really liked. And so when I was a wee Mikey in the eighties, growing up and getting involved in action movies, this is one that he was more than happy to watch with me. And that kind of kicked started stuff. I feel like maybe even I'm reaching in the Wayback machine here. I feel like maybe I watched revenge of the ninja first. And he was like, Oh, well, if you like ninjas, you should watch this Chuck. Because I also loved Chuck Norris when I was younger. I'm less a fan of Chuck Norris now for a variety of reasons. But when I was younger, I loved Chuck Norris. So the Octagon involves uh, a karate champion named Scott James, played by our aforementioned Chuck Norris, who essentially comes to battle with a terrorist group who is training ninjas to be their terrorist assassins and stuff like that. Now, the movie itself is only okay, but it gets its name from the climax. The final act involves Scott, Norris's character having to fight his way through this compound, this octagon-shaped compound, where every sort of room and area, he there's new things that he has to deal with and new enemies that he has to fight. It also involves a an early appearance by Richard Norton, one of the all-time great martial arts actors. It's really... A very, very entertaining 80s action movie. I think it's one of Chuck Norris's best. I think the ending or the the climax, I should say, makes it. It's very much in the same spirit as Bruce Lee's Game of Death, where he has to fight him. He has to fight up through levels. Norris has to fight around 
the various mm. sides of the compound. But uh, it's it's really terrific. And again, heavy influence on ninjas far earlier than canon got into it. I have to think that Menahem Golan and Yoram Globus were well aware of the octagon existing when they decided to make Enter the Ninja. Uh, I don't I can't confirm that, but they can't not be. But if you're a ninja movie fan and you want to watch one of these sort of early seminal ninja movies and see Chuck Norris at his height before he got old, stiff and crazy conservative, but we don't talk <laughs> politics on this show. Uh, no, this, no, no. <laughs> but this this would be one to watch. So I really recommend it. So, Ryan, I'm kind of glad you haven't seen it because I'm going to give you some homework and I want you to uh, watch this one. Not tonight or not tomorrow, but sometime in the next few weeks. I want you to watch this one and tell me what you think of it. Absolutely. I actually saw it on my Amazon Prime after I finished watching um, Enter the Ninja. Right underneath it was the Octagon. And I was like, huh, don't know what that is, but okay, cool. So now that you bring it up, and it all makes sense to me. So, yes, it, it will it will be watched at some point in the near future. All right. Perfect. So, uh, folks, that brings us to the point in the show where we are going to talk about where you can see all these ninja movies we've recommended. As always, we use the Just Watch app and website. It's not sponsored, but we're certainly not going to complain, Just Watch, if you want to throw us a few bucks. But it is the most accurate website we've found for letting you know where stuff is streaming. As always, this is accurate at the time of recording. But if you're listening to this down the road, please make sure to double check. Just go to Just Watch, look up the movie, and it will tell you where it's streaming. Because as we all know, streaming services are gaining and losing movies on like a daily basis. So Ryan, why don't you tell us where people can see your recommendations? Sure. So Enter the Ninja is available for buy or rent on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Vudu. American Ninja is streaming right now at the time of our recording on Amazon Prime and Tubi with ads. And You Only Live Twice is available to rent and purchase on all the major platforms. All right, and Revenge of the Ninja is available for rent or purchase on Amazon Prime. Kino Lorber also has a pretty fantastic Blu-ray of it, and I would recommend that you just buy the Blu-ray because the movie's great. Ninja 3 The Domination is streaming on Amazon Prime, DirecTV, and Epics if you have subscriptions to any one of those. And Shout Factory also has a lovely Blu-ray that's going out of print. So you might want to pick that up as soon as possible. The Octagon, as Ryan mentioned when he he said he saw it, it's streaming on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, folks, if you're talking martial arts movies or ninja movies or any of those things, I will tell you, Tubi and Amazon Prime are by far and away the best streaming services for those. They seem to have a bunch of those movies. Ryan, plug some stuff. Where can people find you? So I am on Instagram at Ryan underscore Copeland, and I'm on Twitter at G-R-C-O-P-E-L. Uh, Twitter is the main way to interact with me. 
Uh, if you want to talk movies or want to talk books, I have a book coming out in March of next year that I'm currently in the process of editing and about to start publicity on. So if you want to talk fantasy books or talk ninja movies or just talk movies in general, that's where you can find me. And shit, I didn't realize your book was coming out that soon, man. I was going to ask you about your book. I didn't realize it was that soon. Congratulations on that, buddy. Uh, Thank you. Make sure to let me and let Dana know when it's closer to release, and we will promote the hell out of that. Because, uh, folks, if you don't follow Ryan, you're missing one of the best Twitter follows and one of the best people quite frankly, I know on that hell site. And so if he's kicking a book out, uh, do me a solid and make sure to check the book out when it comes out. I appreciate that, Mike. I have some more information for you guys closer to the holiday season. Perfect. Awesome. Just, just keep me posted and I will do everything I can to promote it. As always, you can find me at Hibachi Justice on Twitter, where I blather on about things mostly Scott Adkins related. You can also find me at Hibachi Justice on Letterboxd, where you will find our continually updating list of all the movies we've recommended on the 20th Century Movie Club. You can find the namesake of this podcast, Dana Buckler, on Twitter, at Dana Buckler. If you want to follow him personally, you can follow the show at Dana Buckler Show on Twitter. Join our Facebook group, uh, The Dana Buckler Show. Follow the show on Instagram, at The Dana Buckler Show. You can also email us at The Dana Buckler Show at gmail.com. We are a Patreon supported podcast. We really appreciate any support you give us, and supporting us gives you early access to episodes bonus classic how is this movie episodes as well as some new goodies we're going to be announcing soon you can listen to the show on literally every major podcast app of choice out there if you find a podcast app and we're not on it please let us know because i think we're on everything you could possibly be on and if you don't want to remember all of that you can find every one of these links at linktree.com or at linktree slash dana buckler show Finally, be sure to download the Dash Radio app and listen to Dana's brand new show, Hollywood Unfiltered, on the Fun for Life channel. It is a terrific show, and honestly, every once in a while, you're going to get to hear me on there because I am the official Hollywood Unfiltered film critic. So what are you going to do? You should listen. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me, man. I am sorry it took so long to get you on this show, but it was everything I hoped it would be. I had a blast talking this with you, man. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Hope, uh, hope you get to tell Dana just how much I appreciate, um, him blessing off on me coming on his wonderful show. And anytime y'all want to have me back, I'm at your disposal. Well, Ryan, I think there is a better than fair chance that we are going to have you back on. Uh, I I always enjoy talking to you, my friend. So I'm, I'm going to have you back on at some point. Don't you worry about that. So for Ryan Copeland, for Dana Buckler, I am Mike Scott on the Dana Buckler Show. And I hope every one of you has a wonderful night.